If you're looking for success in the vacation rental industry, Heather Bayer and the team at CottageBlogger.com are here to show you that it's entirely within reach. Welcome to Vacation Rental Success, the show that features interviews with industry experts, successful vacation rental owners, and more, all geared toward helping you make it happen. Here's your host, Heather Bayer. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of Vacation Rental Success. This is episode number 90. Nine zero. Here we go. Only 10 to go before the before we reach 100. Never thought this would happen um, just about two and a bit years ago when we when I started thinking about podcasting. As we move into the fall and winter and things start to get quiet, yes, um, it really is going to happen. The phones are going to stop ringing and the emails are going to stop coming in and I'm going to have time to get to grips with a lot more stuff. And I'm going to go, I really want to get back into the whole idea of podcasting for vacation rental owners. You know, I... I got so enthusiastic last year and we had some great people. We got together on a Facebook uh, Facebook group and started talking about how it would all work for us. And not one of us yet have produced a podcast. And this fall, I'm going to get back to that, hopefully add some more people to this Facebook group. So if, if you are interested in... Uh, getting a podcast together, please let me know so I can add you to the group because I really want to make that really active again. You know, I've learned so much this year about podcasting and about the production side of it, which I think is what holds a lot of people back because it's it's technical. And I know that certainly is something that, that gets to me. But uh, it was it's very interesting looking at some of the travel podcasts that are out there that uh, that are really achieving some great success. And, and I'd like to share some of that with you. The other thing we were doing in the in the Facebook group was just sharing the sort of ideas of of how of what our podcast would look like, how we would um, create them to attract a bigger vacation rental audience, people interested in coming to our location. And I still firmly believe that podcasting is is still in its infancy and it's going to become so much more mainstream in the next few years. So if you're interested, let me know. Uh, email me at heather at cottageblogger.com and let me add you to our Facebook group. And I'd love to talk to you there. So uh, what's it like on our weather front? It's actually, as I look out of the window this morning, it's it's thick fog, um, but it's really hot. It has been a hot, hot week. And of course, it's, you know, we call it Sod's Law. We have a family in a cottage. They chose that particular cottage because it had air conditioning. This is the hottest week of the summer. And guess what? The air conditioning packed up on Friday the day before they moved in on Saturday. So here we are at Tuesday. Um, there is a new air conditioning unit being installed tomorrow, Wednesday. And uh, so they have been without their AC for the rest of Saturday, all of Sunday, all of Monday, all of Tuesday in the hottest week of the year. 
it, yeah, it amazes me how these things happen. When something breaks down, it's got to break down big time, doesn't it? However, kudos to these guests. They are being very stoic about it and, uh, and coping very well, apparently. It's, it's interesting because coming out from UK, we'd never had air conditioning in, in homes in UK. I mean, when I, when I left 10 years ago, we didn't, I'd never, ever had a car with AC. It was not really necessary, necessary and I'm not really sure whether it's still necessary. Um, but uh, come, and, and in fact, coming out here to Ontario with our incredibly hot summers, it, uh, it was a little bit of a culture shock to experience the first summer, not so much as it was to experience the first winter, but um, we we managed the first several summers without any air conditioning. And in fact, we've been here we've been here twelve years now, and last year and this year, the first times we've actually had the AC going. So I still find it a little odd to know that uh, that so many people when they come out of the city of Toronto. They have not, and they've got, they're coming out to cottage country, and they have never experienced life without air conditioning in the summer. And uh, this, this really impacts many, many people. So I know it's okay for me. I was listening to it on the TV yesterday when they're talking about the heat and how long can we stand this heat. And I'm thinking, you know, it's, it's what I used to experience going on holiday in a tent in Italy Every year, it was exactly the same. It was it was heat and humidity in the 30s. And, you know, there's no AC in a tent. There was no getting away from it, but we coped. And, uh, yeah, I just think people are less, uh, they're, they're less able to cope with, with such things. They're less able to cope with extremes these days because we're so pampered and coddled. And and we have to have our temperature set at a certain level. And if it goes, you know, if, if there's any outliers, if it goes too hot or too cold, they really can't cope. But uh, that's probably a topic of another podcast today. I want to talk about international guests. And the reason I've, um, I've picked this topic is that we've had some friends from UK uh, staying for two weeks. In fact, they just went back on on Saturday. And while they were here, we got into some really good discussions about the differences between the the UK and Canada from simple things like language. I got into an argument with my 14-year-old godson who would not for two weeks stop re- stop correcting my pronunciation of tomato. Now, I've been here 12 years now. I think that tomato is a perfectly acceptable way of pronouncing the vegetable fruit, I think. Anyhow, every time I said, hey, Lewis, do you want a tomato? He came back with, oh, that will be tomato. And we, we you know, that, that, that's something that was ongoing for the entire fortnight another word that's come back into my vocabulary fortnight two weeks that they were here but we had great discussions about uh, about driving you know the fact that we were driving they were driving on the other side of the road um about some quirky things like four-way junctions and stopping for school buses 
which actually is something that you don't have to do in England. And and they were saying, you know, it was very helpful for them when they were driving to talk to us first because they borrowed our car while they were here and Phil gave them all the instructions on on how to manage the four-way junctions. The fact that they could turn red, uh, turn red on a right, turn right on a red traffic light. And, uh, and of course, as I've just mentioned, stopping for school buses. And we had to remind them that this is what you have to do if there's a school bus coming the other way and, uh, and it stops. Of course, in the summer, there aren't that many of them about, but there's still a bunch of school buses um, dropping off and picking up kids for summer schools. And so, so they are still out there. So they, we had to make them very aware of the driving laws. Then I recall arriving in Ontario on one of our very first trips to find that we'd arrived on a public holiday and we had no idea. I think it was probably August the, uh, the 1st, August the 1st, which is a civic holiday here, the first Monday in August. And there were the only places open were gas stations. You know, we got off the aeroplane, it had been an eight-hour flight, we had a three-hour drive, we had no food, we were heading up to our own cottage, but, uh, but we knew that the fridge was bare and had not even thought about the fact that we would have to find some food. And my husband is, you know, he does enjoy his, uh, you know, a couple of bevies, particularly on the first night of a vacation. And the fact that you can only buy uh, alcohol, liquor in Canada, oh, sorry, in Ontario, let me make that clear, it's in Ontario you can only buy liquor in either a beer store or the LCBO, which is our liquor store. And of course, being a public holiday, they were all shut. So that was the first night on our vacation. Um, we, we stopped in a gas station. We got a couple of packets of chips or in Lewis parlance, crisps and, uh, and some bottled water. And that was it when we arrived at the property and normally it would be falling in the door, just emptying out the car and, and opening a nice cold beer and sitting outside and being so happy to be there. Yeah, it was a little bit of a miserable night, that one, um, when, uh, when we just had our couple of packets of chips and a glass of water. It was all resolved the following day. But, you know, it really got me thinking at that time when we started our rental agency how important it was to let other international guests, people crossing the pond, let them know what to expect. And from that day onwards, from from the day we started the company, in fact, we built uh, our guide to interna- our guide for international guests. And it's a separate guide from the one that we do for cottage country, which talks about uh, all the quirks that people coming out of the city might expect to find in the country. This one is very, very focused on the differences that our international guests are going to find from the moment they get off the aeroplane. So I'm using today's episode to to go through some of the issues that we present in our Guide to International Guests so that if you don't have such a guide, you could perhaps start one and make sure that anybody that's traveling to you 
And this is this this works um, in reverse. You know, it could be UK and European guests coming out to North America, or equally, it could be our North American guests traveling the pond and going to the UK or France or Germany or Spain or the Balearic Islands or wherever. You know, it's wherever people are traveling from one country to another, where there's going to be cultural differences, there's going to be um, differences in the way people shop, in the way people eat, in the way that they, uh, they, they use the telephone. We want to let them know. And we want to make it very, very clear uh, in a, an easy-to-follow fashion how they can integrate into the environment from the moment in which they arrive. So I'm just going to go through our international guide, sort of from beginning to end, just touching on all the things that, that we tell our guests as they're coming in. And we start with actually arriving at the airport. We've come through Pearson International Airport on so many occasions. We know exactly how how it works through the immigration, through baggage pickup, to which, you know, how to find the rental, the rental outlet, um, that we wanted to share all that. You know, you probably don't think about that, you know, telling people what it's going to be like at your airport. But it, I think it's really important because it gives them, it sets their expectations. And for one thing, when people arrive at Pearson, most, most are unaware that you've probably got to walk at least a kilometer to get from, at least it seems like a kilometer. You know, been sat on an airplane for eight hours and now you're in walking mode, which, which is great because it's really, really healthy to get back up on your feet again and, and have a good walk. But this has always seemed endless. You know, where are we going? And so, so we, we let them know it could be a very long walk from getting off the aeroplane into the immigration hall. So we explain that, that it's going to be a long walk. We explain all about the processes of, of immigration, how important it is that they declare absolutely everything, certainly to, dis, to, to declare any food they're bringing. And then we even add a little bit about secondary, what happens if you are called out into secondary and that, uh, you know, providing you have declared anything, it's nothing to be concerned about. Making sure that they have the address of the place they're going to and, and just other information that makes it easy for them to get through um, border control at Pearson International Airport. Now, it's going to be different everywhere you go. I remember going to uh, Exuma for the first time and the owners of the property that we were going to had uh, advised us that when we arrived at Nassau, regardless of whether we thought we needed um, some help with baggage, was to get a porter to take our bags through because that actually gets you, they, they fast track right the way through the um, um, customs. 
And although they're not, they don't push right to the front. It's it's almost as though it's expected that if you have a porter, you're going to to get through. And in in most, um, actually, on every occasion when we've gone through um, Nassau, we've gone straight through the customs check uh, with our porter. Cost us ten dollars. I think that is just such great value. Um, we have never yet had to wait in a line. So, you know, kudos to those owners for letting us know that because if, you know, if we hadn't been aware, we'd have probably you know, decided, oh, we're going to save that 10 bucks and we're going to drag our bags ourselves all the way through. So that was really, really helpful. So if there is something about your airport or about the border crossing, that you know, that you think your guests will find really, really helpful, then please let them know. Then the next thing we we talk about is what happens when you leave the rental car pickup. And, you know, you're at, with, with our airport, it's mega. It really is big. And takes a good 10 minutes to actually get out of the car parking area, out of the parking garage, before you get out into the open and then you're faced with with this spaghetti junction of roads so we supply regardless of where they're going it's usually the same method of getting out of the airport so we supply you know very careful instructions on what to look out for um what to avoid roads to avoid etc now i'm we, we do let them know that they should, if they've got a car with GPS, then put in the address straight away. But not to follow the GPS instructions out of the airport because they change the roads like every five minutes. I just said like, like every five minutes. That that shows we've just had a 14-year-old to stay. So I'm going to backtrack and remove like out of my vocabulary. So... We want them to have the smoothest transition out onto the highway and on their way to the property. So we, we suggest that they don't follow the GPS uh, for that first, you know, first five or ten minutes as they're leaving the airport and to follow our driving instructions because we've, uh, we've used them over and over again and... Every time the road system is updated, then we tend to update those instructions as well. Of course, it's not going to be the same everywhere, you know, but just think about next time you you go to your, your airport or your point of entry, just put yourself into the shoes of somebody who has never set foot in the place before. When they get out of, out of the terminal building, it can be very, very confusing you know, years ago we went to San Jose on the way to, uh, when we were in Costa Rica, and we were we were getting a a bus from outside the terminal to the hotel. But we stepped outside the terminal and were just overwhelmed by the amount of people there. There were just hundreds of people. There were there were all the passengers coming out of the terminal building. There were all the taxis and the buses, and hundreds of people milling about on the pavement, all looking for for their bus, their taxi, and then, of course, the touts that were trying to um, pull you in different directions. 
So that would have been helpful to know about that because it's you get this sort of shock as you set foot out the out of the door. Of course, you're hit by usually, hopefully, hit by the heat. That's the first thing, and then you have to adjust to the noise and the difference and um, the confusion. So it's just worthwhile just letting people know that. The next thing we discuss is the driving differences. Uh, of course, when you're coming out of um, UK and you're coming to North America, you're going to swap over driving on the other side of the road. So re- really important to remind them that they need to be constantly aware of driving on the other side of the road. And then we have a section that points out a few major differences. One of them, and, and something we didn't, we, we had no idea of until we went to the, in, uh, the North America first time about 15 years ago and, and came across a four-way junction. Um, for those, those of my listeners in the US you know, and Canada, you know exactly what a four-way junction is. You know, everybody comes to a halt and, and then you very politely take it in turns to, to move on. And certainly in, um, in country areas, this, this, this form of junction is very um, prevalent. But we don't have those in England. There is nothing like a four-way junction. In fact, my husband and I were talking about it the other day. And he said, so what, what happened in England if the traffic lights went out? And there was traffic coming from four different directions. And I said, well, we always used to sit there and hope for the best. And somebody with enough gumption decided that they were going to go. But that was usually at the same time as somebody on the other side of the road was going to go. And it was usually a a mess. And you sat there and waited until the nice traffic cop came by to direct you. But of course, here, we know that if you're at a junction and the traffic lights fail, then the four-way junction mentality hopefully kicks in and you will take it in turns to, uh, to move across the junction. But uh, it, was, it was really interesting when I've been with people before who've never come across that before and they come to a junction and really don't have a clue about it and what they should do next. So it's just easy just to let them know that you know, look out for the four-way junction signs and, and in your guide you can put a picture of the, um, the, the road sign and it just gives them a chance while they're preparing for their trip to just assimilate that new information. And then the other one I've mentioned it a couple of times so far has been stopping for school buses. We don't tend to do that in England, certainly not when a, if a school bus comes the other way and stops, you don't stop for it in, from the other direction. And uh, you really do want to avoid your guests getting a ticket in the first hour of arriving in your country because they haven't stopped for a school bus. So that's important to let them know that. Um, Then we have, what else do we have? Oh, yeah, turning right on a red light. It's very difficult, actually, when I go back to England now to stop myself turning right. Oh, well, it would be turning left on red because, of course, we drive on the other side of the road there. Um, But turning on a red light, it's just not something that's ever taught to you in your driving ed. 
And of course, if you're in England or Europe and you have North American visitors coming over, it's important to let them know that it's not common practice to turn on a red light. So once again, we're, we're getting into this avoidance thing. We want to avoid our guests getting into trouble in the very first couple of hours of their arrival in your country. So any other quirky things about um, your, your country's driving laws, really important to let people know. I mean, you could talk about roundabouts. There's more roundabouts appearing now in, um, in North America. People are getting a little bit more used to them. But remember, if you're in the UK, in Europe, and you have international guests, that they are not used to roundabouts. So it might be worthwhile creating some tips for, to help them to, to use a roundabout. So the next thing is, you know, pe- people arrive, the first thing they want to do is to stop and pick up provisions. Mostly it will just be for the first night. They just want something to tide them over for the first night. Now, if they're going to arrive late, it's so important that you do ask them if you can provide them with some things in the fridge for their arrival. Last time we went to Exuma, we we arrived about seven o'clock in the evening. The store was shut and we if, if the owner hadn't done a little bit of shopping for us from our shopping list that we sent them, we would have had an empty fridge when we arrived, which as I mentioned before, is, is not great on the first day of a vacation. Really, you, don't, you probably don't need a massive meal, but you want something to snack on. You want a nice cool beverage to go and sit and put your feet up and do that wonderful relaxed sigh that I'm on vacation and, uh, and all is well with my world. So if there's a likelihood your guests are going to arrive after the stores have shut, then offer to do some shopping for them or get your caretaker to do it and and have some things in the refrigerator waiting for them. But it's always worthwhile letting them know where the best place is to stop on their way from the airport to do their shopping. When we went to uh, Costa Rica, we had a three-hour drive from the airport to um, Dominical and the uh, the owner had provided us with a really good outline of where we should stop and what we should look at on the way, just to make that, that three-hour drive a little bit more interesting. And halfway, she said, you know, when you get into this town, there's a great supermarket. It's got a great butchery and a bakery, and you should pick up this and that. And it was just such useful information. Now, here in Ontario, as I mentioned, you can't buy uh, beer and wine in a grocery store. You have to go to an LCBO or a beer store. So we provide information on where where the beer stores are, what to look out for, their opening times, and uh, and the other restrictions about you know what what the legal age for for drinking is. You don't want to send your 19 year old into the store to buy beer while you're in the wine store because um, they're going to get carded and refused. So just, it all comes down to providing all the information they need to make that transition so smooth. We also provide um, general information on the, um, on the foods that they might want to look out for, the things that, um, because this is a general introduction to our international guests, it's not, it's not 
property specific because we're an agency and we have properties all over the province. So ours is fairly general and we talk about things like, you know, the, the, while you're here, you should try butter tarts, you should try maple syrup, you should try this, you should try that. Um, we talk about roadside food stands and the fact that the majority of roadside food stands are absolutely fine to buy food from. They're usually just local farmers that just throw up a, a little stand outside the farm gates and they're selling tomatoes and garlic. And For me, that's the best place to buy fresh produce. But it was interesting that when we're once again going back to Costa Rica, there were, I love ceviche, you know, the, the, um, the, the fish that's marinated in lemon and lime juice. So it's uncooked fish, but, uh, but that, that marinade um, makes it edible. And if you haven't ever tried ceviche, and, you know, please do so. It is fantastic. However, there were so many ceviche stands and I, I just wasn't, um, I wasn't happy with, with just buying ceviche from these stands because of the, of, of hygiene issues. I didn't know whether, you know, whether, whether you should do that. And we hadn't got any indication of, you know, whether it was safe to do that or not. So unfortunately never did test out the Costa Rica ceviche. Um, so that, that would have, have been nice. So now your guests are, they've arrived, they've driven there, they've gone through, they, they've read through all your guidelines for driving, they're really happy, they've had their first night, they've had their, their, their dinner, their snacks, their beer and wine, and then they go to bed. And once again, this is specific to us here, and, and it may not be to you, but we do let them know about bugs, critters, and things that go bump in the night. Because we remember very early on in our, uh, in our agency operation that when we had our first international guest and we had a panic phone call at uh, two o'clock in the morning from guests who'd gone into a cottage and they were woken up by this, um, this sound. As they said to us, there's an engine running. We don't understand this. Um, my son went to the washroom and he flushed the toilet and then this engine started to run and it's really loud and we don't know what to do. And then it stopped. But every time we ran the water, this engine started again. They had no idea about what a water pump was um, because we hadn't thought to let them know that cottage country, most of the water comes up from the lake or the river uh, or even a well and it has to be uh, it has to be pumped into the house. So so when water is run at any point in the house, then the water pump kicks in to uh, to prime up the, um, the tank. So, you know, when you turn a tap on, the water's going to run out of it. So once again, that was the trigger to get us to include in our guide that this is what they should expect. And when they get in there, run a tap, listen for the water pump kicking in so that they will get familiar with that noise. And then bugs and critters. We have, we have mosquitoes. We have plenty of mice in cottage country, chipmunks, squirrels, bears, raccoons. 
a lot of different wildlife, which is absolutely wonderful if, if as many of our guests do, they enjoy the wildlife. But it can be a little bit uh, of a shock to, uh, to a guest from an international country to get up the following morning and walk into the kitchen and find a mouse sitting on the side staring at. And I have to say some of these mice are bold. They, they really don't care um, if there's people around, you know. It's crumbs over people as far as they're concerned. So in our guide, we talk about the fact that if, if you leave a door open, if you're unloading the car and bringing some stuff in and you don't close the screen door, there will be a mouse at some point that makes its way into the house because they know that's where the food is. So really important to, to let your guests know what they might expect in the way of wildlife if they're not, if they're not careful. Um, in Eleuthera and Exuma, we were advised to um, keep all our dry goods and keep all our food in sealed containers because there are ants, there are other um, bugs that come into the house. Um, so it's just an advisory thing. If you've got wildlife, if you've got bugs and critters, then don't keep it a secret. Let people know, let them know how they can avoid encounters. You know, in, in the UK, we would probably quite happily put our garbage outside in a bag. And then our guests, when they come here, they wonder why they get up in the morning and the garbage is completely ripped apart because you know, the friendly neighborhood, neighborhood raccoons have, um, have helped themselves to all the tasty treats. And that's just on the mild side. We have heard of the bears will come do it as well. And once you've got a bear in the area, they are really, really difficult to get rid of. Um, and unfortunately, um, animal control tend to take quite a, uh, a strict stance on bears that have become accustomed to human, human food. So we actually let our guests know that, you know, we know you'd love to see a bear. We really do. Everybody, well, most people want to see the wildlife. But you need to see a bear from a distance, not on your deck, eating from the garbage. Because that will have severe repercussions for the bear itself and for its cubs. So that's just one of the, one of the things that we talk about with them. Then they're you know, just segueing into what I would call the garbage ritual. We all have different ways of dealing with our garbage. And, and we've, been to, we've been to some great places where... We just put garbage in a, a bin, a lockable bin outside the property, and the caretaker comes along and picks it up every couple of days. Absolutely fantastic. It doesn't happen in our area because there the just is not the manpower to do that. You know, our properties are so dispersed, so wide apart, that, uh, that if the property has a caretaker, he may be looking after several different properties in a very, very wide area. And garbage collection is not included in his job description. So guests are asked to separate their garbage according to the local township rules, and every township has its own rules. So in the Guide to International Guests, we just tell them that it's really, really important that they check the welcome book and understand what the recycling and separation rules are for the property that they're going into and also to read thoroughly the instructions for taking their own garbage to the dump what they have to take with them whether it's a letter or whether it's a dump card or 
whether it's it's just free to dump, let them know because you don't want them arriving at the garbage dump with a with a car full of stinky rubbish to then find they're turned away because they don't have the appropriate documentation, which does happen in some of our townships. And the key here is that we're keeping our guests happy all the time they're there, um, not giving them any unwelcome surprises. So those are the main things, but we also like to give them the information on what they need to bring. Um, I mean, I know wherever I go, I know I take my own tea bags because although you can usually buy, and I use Tetley tea bags, I know you can usually buy Tetley tea bags wherever you go, but my goodness, are they expensive. So I know when we're down in the Bahamas, I would not dream of buying tea bags from the local store because they're, they're astronomically priced. So I always take this big sack full of tea bags with me to keep myself going for a couple of weeks. Anything that's specific, anything that you really enjoy, you know, I'll, I'll take. And some people may never have heard of Marmite. Others may go, oh, my God, she eats Marmite. And still others are going, yum, Marmite. So I will take a little jar of Marmite when I go because that's, that's one of the favorite things I like to spread on my toast. Any other specifics? If you want to take, you know, if, you, if, if, if your guests, to tell your guests to bring. If there's something that's really expensive that you think they might like, and you know, you get into discussion with them before they come. You ask them, is there anything in specific, is, is there any specific food you like that, uh, that we could uh, either provide for you or let you know how much it is here so you know whether to bring it yourself. So it's all just a matter of information. And then the final thing we talk about is what to expect in the case of an emergency. And it could be, it could be a medical emergency. What number do they have to dial? In England, it's 999. And of course, in the, the North America, it's 911. So just that little snippet of information can save them a ton of time in the case of an emergency if they know what they have to dial. So certainly letting them know in advance the information that you'll put in your welcome book, but just it, it, it just begins, it helps them to assimilate into the, into the location before they get there. So you, if you have, as we do, frequent power outages in the summer when you know, we, we get a storm and we get big, big storms, and it can often take power out for a few days. So let them know what happens in the case of a power outage, what they should expect, whether you have a generator or whether, you know, there's a number that they can, they can call and a caretaker will come around and get the generator set up for them. Whatever you have in place, let them know beforehand so that they, you know, they're aware, they know what the procedure is. So there's probably other things that you may want them to know. It really depends upon your location. And it could be very specific to a specific location. So just step back, get into, your, get into the shoes of your arriving international guests and get into the flow of what, they, what might happen and what their expectations 
should be. And I can't stress enough how helpful it is to you as the owner or agency to have your guests knowing this stuff before they arrive because it sort of preempts so many issues that could arise. And really, once you've got this document done and and it please don't make it just one long ream of text, you know, brighten it up, use cartoons, use images. Uh, it, it just helps them to read the document. Because remember, people don't tend to read what we send them for, for many reasons. The other, the other thing you could do is, is actually do this on video. Uh, you could do it on audio so that they could have it you know, as an audio file. So maybe deliver your information in different media formats just to make it easier for them to... Um, to understand and to read, listen, or view. Okay, I hope that's been helpful. It's it certainly certainly has been helpful to us when we've gone to other countries and owners have gone to this uh, this extent and gone to the effort of creating a guide that's for us visiting from another country. It doesn't take long to do and. It, it really is very, very worthwhile. So that's about it for this week. Um, our guests from UK are back home now. We had a fabulous time with them. They've gone back with a lot of great memories. They've left us with a lot of great memories. And, um, and we shall be visiting them next year when we go across to my eldest son's wedding in Berlin. And that's going to be interesting because we'll be looking for going to be looking for vacation rentals in the UK when we're there. Um, what we like to do when we go to, to UK is not go and stay with anybody, but to go and rent a, a vacation home and then have our family come visit us. It's just, it's just much more convenient. They can come and go. We don't have to be driving around the countryside from place to place. And then, uh, and then when we go to Berlin for the wedding, we, we shall probably, uh, this is the first time, I think, that we're going to try Airbnb. So that's going to be, uh, that's going to be novel for me. So we'll look forward to hearing from anybody who's got tips on, on that. Talking about hearing from people, as we lead up to October and our 100th episode, I'm wanting to talk to as many small agency owners as I can um, to interview over the next few weeks. I'd really like to learn more about how you've, you know, how you started, why you started, why did you want to get into the agency business? Um, how many How many properties did you start with? How many properties do you have now? What uh, management systems you're using? how you um, acquire new owners, whether it's been difficult, whether it's been easy, just all sorts of information. I would love to hear from agency owners and it doesn't matter how big your agency is, you all started somewhere. So I'd love to, um, to talk to you. If you'd like to be interviewed on Vacation Rental Success, please email me at heather at cottageblogger.com and um, we'll get into a conversation and find out um, a little bit more about you and your agency and um, 
and schedule a time for an interview. So uh, I'd love to hear from you. As ever, if you've got any comments on this episode or any other episode, please go to the end of the show notes and leave me a comment. And if you like the show, just nip on over to the iTunes link and click on that and you can leave a review. That would be really, really wonderful. Once again, it's been an absolute pleasure. The fog is now lifting. It's about, oh, just about 9 a.m. And uh, ready to start another busy day. Only two weeks to go now until the end of the season. And I am looking forward to it. It's been great. But uh, yes, as we get, as Labor Day starts to loom, it, uh, it becomes, well, yeah, I just look forward to it. Okay, once again, thank you so much for listening. And I will be with you again next week. This episode of Vacation Rental Success is over, but don't worry, Heather will be back soon. Want more great resources? Visit cottageblogger.com for tips, tricks, downloads, and strategies to help you achieve profit from your vacation rental business.